1: The 2020 European Le Mans series turned into a a real classic affair eventually. We were rather concerned that we wouldn't get any racing in for this season. And that's the same, of course, for a lot of the championships around the world with our present situation. But five races it was. I was there every step of the way. and, And Bruce, you managed, I think, three out of the five. Bruce Jones joins me, Johnny Palmer, for this review of the season.
0: You are correct, Johnny. I missed the second round at Spa-Francorchamps and I didn't get to make the trip to Monza. Always a shame to miss those circuits, but two to Paul Ricard and one, my favourite one of all, to Portimao to end the season. You know, I felt I had a good helping and looking forward to doing the whole lot again next year.
1: And we should make the point about the the fantastic tracks that we get to go to. It's sort of stabilised in recent years with uh, all of the kind of uh, the the notable tracks that uh, we have become accustomed to with European Le Mans. After after a period of time in the early 2000s where it would chop and change a fair bit, but visits to uh, Le Castellet, to Spa-Francorchamps, Barcelona was on the bill, but we never made it there, But so back to the south of France. And then to to Monza, to Portimao, Red Bull Ring to uh, to, uh, uh, reappear from next season. But I remember uh, a couple of years ago, Bruce, you remarked on the fact that just... To be able to go to some of these circuits and, and see some of the tracks that uh, at the time Formula One weren't visiting was still a treat for, for both of us.
0: Oh, entirely so. And I, it really did make me smile this year when Formula One was rerouted and went to the Algarve International Circuit and going, oh my golly, it's an amazing circuit. Who knew? we're thinking, we knew. We've been going there for a long time and absolutely love it. But these are all fabulous circuits. And with Formula One suddenly turning its head and having to go to Mugello, back to Imola um, and, and back to Istanbul, it's just discovering circuits a little bit more organic and a little less, you know, from the pen of one regular circuit architect. Of course, he did design, uh, Herman Tilke did design the Istanbul Park circuit, but it was a treat to go somewhere new, somewhere different. I'm glad Red Bull Ring is back on the roster for next year. Silverson Knot, we've got very used to that Silverson WBC LMS doubleheader but uh, it will go around in a cycle but every single one of the circuits visited is a world-class circuit so I think that is a huge part of the draw for all of these drivers particularly drivers coming over from the States and from South America to come and play in the European Le Mans series it's the draw of the circuits as well as obviously that ultimate goal of trying to move on up and compete in the Le Mans 24 hours but great tracks undoubtedly.
1: There Was a, a surprise for a few last year with the eventual champions. Although Edex Sport had, had already been making waves to suggest that they could do pretty well in 2019, and the champions did return but with a tweak to their driver lineup. But Paul Lafargue, the silver in that uh, combination, and he was back. G Drive finished second in last year's championship. They were also back with the Auris and the 39 Graph car as well. But, um, I suppose United Autosports finishing the back end of 2019 with a couple of top two finishes, including that win at Spa. And from the outset, we knew on paper that Phil Hansen and Philly Arbacurk, just with the two driver line were going to be strong. However, you know, there was a lot of competition, wasn't there, for them on paper at the start of, of the season for 2020.
0: in 10th place after five rounds not for lack of speed but it's about things not being strung together and I think in terms of everything being hugely consistent you had to be consistent this year with just the five rounds to play in you had to score very well in all of them if you're going to stand a chance it really really emphasized how the level of professionalism the level of competition has increased inordinately in the last few years so I think in fact, Edex Sport was a very, very good example of that. Plenty of speed from Richard Bradley and Paul Lafargue, in, uh, the two of them in particular. But they weren't stringing together those ultimate results and it really, really cost them.
1: Well, let's go straight to the, the first round of the season then. The uh, race itself took place on the 19th of July this year and a first pole position for Philippe Albuquerque. It would be the first of quite a number and Albuquerque uh, the qualifying driver for all races bar the final event at Portimao when uh, actually it didn't really matter by that point who they put out for qualifying they'd they'd scored enough points but Phil Hansen did eventually get a go at qualifying the car but Albuquerque a qualifying specialist United Autosports have a few of those um, because you look to the Ulsterman Wayne Boyd who did every single qualifying in the number two LMP3 car and it would be him that would set uh, pole position for the first race as well and in the GTE category and GTEs remember uh, are the same cars that run at the 24 hours of Le Mans effectively like the GTE am a category and that you need three drivers one of which must be the bronze but there are no restrictions when it comes to the qualifying so you can put out your fastest driver if you wish and it was the first pole uh, or, or the first pole of the season went to Kessel Racing and Nicky Kadai sharing that 74 Ferrari with Michel Broniszewski and David Perel but uh, the signs were there for everybody else almost a quarter of a second Philippe Albuquerque's advantage in qualifying, over Nick de Vries, no less, and Alex Brundle qualifying in third. So already looking very strong by this point for United, Bruce.
0: Absolutely. So, but the thing that always strikes me about uh, Philippe Albuquerque, yes, he did a fabulous job, and he went on to take, as you say, the first four pole positions in the four races that he went out to, to set the qualifying time. But I always think of him as a racer first and foremost. He, he's got this consistent speed, and he also revealed through the course of the year. Um, a very keen eye for an attacking drive as well when required so i thought united order sports were sitting very very pretty indeed but of course they did go on to win the race but it wasn't the car with albuquerque and hansen was it johnny it was the sister car alex Brundle, willow and joe van utert who uh stepped up thought of in many ways as the team's second entry but clearly they didn't think that and uh, to draw first blood Very, very important in any sporting competition.
1: And it showed that uh, you've got to be there or thereabouts and ready to to take the the scraps from the table. Because from memory, uh, Philippe Albuquerque was out front. I I think it was still Aberkirk driving there. Or did they put Phil in for the final stint? They may have actually held Phil back for the the final run to the line. Phil was in the final stint. But he had a puncture
0: would have been a one-two, but that then elevated Nick de Vries, Mikkel, Jensen and Roman Rusinov in the G-Drive racing, Aurus, And um, also, actually, they got a double promotion, now I think about it, because um, Graf Racing, their Orica, driven by James Allen, Alexandra Acunio and Thomas Laurent, lost uh, lost ground there because bronze driver Acunio hadn't completed his driving time. And, Johnny, we bang on about this over the years, but rules are rules, and it makes my toes curl when you get a team driven perfectly for almost the entire duration and then they make a slip up in the pit lane and you get a drive-through penalty you know all the work from one two three of the drivers thrown out of the window and to not then get your driving time minimum driving time for one of your drivers correct it's you think how much time money effort goes in and on something that really someone should be on top of for that not to work properly and to hit the team it's a massive clangor. Is it worse to do it in the first round or the final round? I don't know, but it just sets you on that back foot. And for Graf, very, very disappointing.
1: Yeah, as you say, it could have been an awful lot better. And possibly uh, Graf sort of flattered to deceive a little bit this season, having won races in the past when James Allen was part of their lineup. But James, Thomas Láron, and Alexandre Cugnot, as you mentioned, for the 39 car. Uh, in LMP3, it, it was a. Uh, well, pretty much a a light-to-flag victory for Will, for Wayne Boyd, Tom Gamble, and and Rob Weldon, and we need to talk about these three as well because they had a a splendid year. Tom Gamble, still only eighteen years old, um, I, I still remember him as a relatively fresh Janetta Junior driver, but that was actually three years ago. Uh, Rob Weldon, who you know, has done an awful lot of uh, club level racing in, in the UK and then started to race more so in Europe as well but this is first big step into into european and continental type motorsport and uh, you know they've had, they had a, they had a perfect year in the end but uh, the writing was possibly on the wall for everybody else after a victory by 4 seconds which is a decent margin in LMP3 uh, it would be a, a splendid year for united autosports but uh, that those three run the risk of going a little bit beneath the radar. Wayne Boyd doing the business in qualifying, but he needed two very good drivers alongside him.
0: Yeah, I think they were really, really interesting trio. Wayne Boyd, everyone knows his ability from Formula 3, a driver whose career sort of ran out of steam, ran out of money, um, and United all Sports have managed to revive his career.
1: And in the uh, GTE category, uh, the well, it, it was all about Porsches and Ferraris, principally, actually, the Ferraris of Kessel and Iron Lynx. Uh, JMW Motorsport also with a number 66 Ferrari of Jody Fannin, Finlay Hutchison, and Hunter Abbott. But, but that driver lineup would change quite a bit through the course of the year. So, really, the, the protagonists within the championship being Proton Competition, Kessel of Switzerland, and Iron Lynx, who beneath the surface are. Pretty much AF Corsa, but uh, a new name nevertheless for the season. And Manuela Gosner, Michel Gatting, and Rahel Fry part of that lineup, along with Claudio Schiavone, Sergio Pianazzola, and Andrea Pacini in the number 60 car. It would eventually be a win for Porsche and the Christian Reed, Michele Beretta, and Al- Alessio Picariello's Porsche. This was my first opportunity, I've talked quite a bit about this all through the year, to witness Alessio Picariello first hand, something you've done many times before, Bruce. It didn't take me too long to come around to your way of thinking and realise this kid is really very talented indeed from Belgium.
0: Yes, Picariello. I'd watched him in the last couple of seasons competing over in the GT World Challenge Asia Series. Uh, super, super talent and certainly for Proton Competition, they've got a, a good one there as would play out across the course of the season.
1: We should probably talk at this point actually about uh, Proton Competition's other rather famous driver, although famous more so uh, in circles outside of motorsport. However, increasingly becoming more of a name you would recognise at a racetrack, Michael Fassbender, uh, following in the footsteps of Patrick Dempsey and Dempsey himself with strong connections to Christian Reed's team. But a man who's much more well-known in Hollywood and worldwide uh, screen talents uh, has made no secret of the fact that he, he, he wants to become someone well-recognized as a a racing driver. I think that was probably his first love prior to acting and uh, turning out in a a beautiful emerald green Porsche, uh, Michael Fassbender. Great to have him on the grid.
0: A real step up for Michael. A couple of seasons racing Ferraris a bit piecemeal in the States, a bit of German Porsche racing 2019 out there on the grid and unfortunately for him, minding his own business when he was pitched off at uh, not the first corner, not on the opening lap, thank goodness, but a big hit. And it wasn't the greatest welcome to the championship. But, you know, he's made of tough stuff. So he did bounce back. And in Proton, it's again, it's always useful to be in a, a team that has a couple of cars. So he'd have been learning all the time, looking across the garage, seeing what the other car was doing. But He's there not to be a star, he's there to be a racing driver.
1: So, early points for United Order Sports, not only in LMP2, but in P3 as well. And as we said, the 25 points going the way of proton competition for Reed, Beretta, and Picariello. Fassbender would get a finish with his teammate uh, Felipe Fernandez Laza and Richard Leitz, the last of the finishers, in fact, in GTE, coming home with seventh place points. Just a handful of weeks on, we then went to Spa-Francorchamps and this was a a meeting held in tandem with the World Endurance Championship. They were a week apart with ELMS falling first and some decent weather, I seem to remember. The uh, European Le Mans series always does enjoy a trip to Spa-Francorchamps, but not quite this early on in the season. It was uh, the 9th of August. ...for race day and uh, Spa still relatively new... ...or a, a returnee to the ELMS calendar... ...but it more traditionally falls in September... ...so great to go at this time of year... ...when it, it's slightly warmer in this part of Belgium... ...and again, Philippe Arberkirk... ...very experienced around the Belgian track... ...setting pole position... ...in fact, it was a, a, an all-front row for United Autosports... ...with Jot van Aertert given qualifying duties... ...in the 32 car. They were, though half a second apart. Now, Yop is no slouch, but Philippe Albuquerque was really on form.
0: He really, really was. I think he really enjoyed that particular challenge. It's something separate to to the racing in, I think, his mind. But um, then over the course of the four-hour duration, that race-long speed that Albuquerque can provide and the ever-increasing pace of Phil Hansen, they, they were a minute clear at the end, Johnny. That is a huge win in any championship. But ELMS, Really unusual to find a car winning by a minute, but that's what uh, the duo did. They're pushed hard by G-Drive Racing, Uh, but I seem to recall there was a spin very late on. Mikkel Jensen was closing in, and was there not a little splash of rain? I wasn't there. I watched it on TV, but that was August. This is now December, Johnny.
1: Yes, that's true. Um, Yeah, I, I think it was changeable, but not quite possibly as much as the... WEC race. The problem is, having covered both races, I'm now trying to work out uh, which was which, but uh, the the beauty of a four-hour race is that you do potentially have um, some twists and turns in the weather. There were certainly twists and turns in terms of caution periods. Uh, Actually, every race in the championship this year was affected by safety car, but Spa had two of them, and the first creeping in after just 15 minutes, and it was quite a lengthy one as well, took us well over the half-hour mark. Uh, That was the first of a couple of safety cars, and there were some full course yellows as well so it's one of those races that you had to be patient with and even at half distance if you weren't necessarily in the mix then a safety car can can very easily change the complexion of the race Uh, and the full course yellows that depends on where you are on the track bearing in mind that that all cars are restricted to 80 kph at that point when the fcy kicks in 50 miles per hour and you can either be at spa coming out of the bus stop chicane and therefore perfectly placed. Or heading down the hill towards Eau Rouge and you're restricted to 50 mile an hour for the the best part of seven kilometres. So full course yellows can either fall massively for you or against you.
0: Yes. And talking about the first race at Paul Ricard, how pit stop misdemeanours can just blow your whole race. Again, just getting it right under a full course yellow. And one team that didn't manage that at Spa was the Duquesne team and they very easily could have finished in second place. Great lineup: Tristan Comedy, Jonathan Hershey, and uh, Konstantin Tereshenko, but they chose not to pit for a splash, and this is something the teams all had to learn, the sort of judicious use of these full-course yellow periods and safety car periods. Is it worth diving in just to top up? In their case, what could have been second ended up with them tumbling down to, I seem to recall, finishing in, I think, fourth place. Yes, it was fourth place, so everybody else got to step up, and second place went to... That combination from Graf, Alan, Cugno, and Laurent. This time they got their driver times right. Third place to Panisse Racing. Hadn't talked about them at Paul Ricard, but Julian Canal, Nicolas Jamin and Will Stevens. What a trio of drivers. They were a pair. Oh, they were a trio that very much could take the battle to United Autosports. But look at the result. That victory by a clear minute for Hansen and Albuquerque said everyone else is going to have to raise their game and then raise it some more in the top class
1: yeah we didn't talk about the 31 car in the opening race because it was a non-finish at Le Castellet but as you said uh, uh, striking to to get a podium that early on it would be a very good 24 hours of Le Mans for Panis racing in LMP2 as well um United in LMP3 continuing where they finished at Le Castellet for the opening round a uh, fastest lap actually set by Rob Weldon and I think That wasn't just in amongst the silver-rated drivers. No, that was early on in the race, lap three, but Rob Weldon did a 216.667. Again, it's about building a a solid foundation in LMP3. You have got the variables of the two longer stops that you you must serve. And I think actually Spa was one of those strange ones where it was mandated by the championship that you also had to make two shorter stops as well now we mentioned this in the Michelin Le Mans Cup review of the year haven't yet mentioned it for ELMS but in LMP3 the moot point for all particularly early on in the season was that the new Nissan engine for the all new cars both the Ligier and the Duquesne brand new cars for 2020 but they also came with this new 5.6 litre Nissan engine race prepared by Orica but race race prepared in a fashion to make it very, very thirsty indeed. And actually, Orica couldn't offer the sufficient um, insurance to say that the the engine was going to make the distance on fuel. Normally, you can do it on three stops because LMP3s will pit happily every 60 minutes. They couldn't necessarily guarantee 50 minutes, though, for this new engine. And it wasn't something that could be rectified in the season that did present um, a new challenge for a lot of the teams, particularly around Spa and Monza that are very fast tracks. Um, Monza, you know, what's that, 80% full throttle around there? So you're burning through fuel very quickly indeed. One or two teams said, it's OK, we can deal with it. And the point is, it's fair for all. But it's one of those twists that nobody had quite uh, counted on.
0: It wasn't just hard for the teams, the drivers, John. It was imp- almost impossible possible for the commentators you had to be right on the tip of your toes to work out had they done a sh- did I blink was that a long stop or a short stop and it was very easy to get your attention drawn away but really with United All Sports with Boy Gamble and Weldon winning by a minute um <clears throat> there was no debate you know it was easy to see what they were up to But certainly it it was an unfortunate element of the season. But uh, for the five rounds, we had to put up with it and go racing. And there was some really good racing. Euro International often really featuring with some of their drivers at the sharp end of the field um, as well in in P3. So so no sort of easy, easy run to victory for United Autosports. But that trio, so strong and another win in the bag for them.
1: You're right. There were strong teams elsewhere in LMP3, but they couldn't necessarily knit together the consistency that the number two car did. And I look at the second place car at Spa in P3, Tony Wells and Colin Noble. Now on their day, I would argue that they are, they can beat anybody else in the LMP3 category, but often they're, the benefactors of bad luck, not, not necessarily of their making. They, they had a great win at the end of the season for the Michelin Le Mans Cup, but it wasn't on the road. That was down to uh, a safety car infringement for the 26 Graf car, which uh, made them inherit that Michelin Le Mans Cup race win. But Tony Wells and Colin Noble uh, second place. And then ahead of, or they finished ahead of the Euro International number 11 car of Nico Kari, Andreas Lascaratos and Tommy Erdos. Um, Nico Kari had at this point been bumped up to a gold rating. So he could no longer compete with... with just to, uh, Tommy Erdos. They had to bring Lascaratos in, um, effectively, to slow the car down because Kari started as a silver. They realised the officials at uh, Lucas Castellet he was very, very fast, and therefore needed to be a gold. And you can't compete uh, as a two-driver lineup with a gold in the LMP3. So you're international with a bit of tweaking to their uh, lineup fairly late on. Kari, though, I think came out of it as as one of the real talents of the season in P3.
0: Yeah, he really did. I didn't see him put a, a foot wrong at the. Th- three rounds I went to, but it's very difficult to constantly have a changing driver lineup and, uh, you know, no team manager would want it. And over five rounds, you know, Kari was there doing his job, but he didn't always have, you know, the backup from other drivers uh, to help him, you know, reap the results that he was due. But, such it is. And again, it is part of the mixture of the European Le Mans series to have this combination of different drivers of, of different rankings in the cars. And it's actually a really good way of bringing other drivers on. So otherwise we could end up with, you know, all gold drivers if you want in P3 and that's not the point of that of that category within the European Le Mans series Johnny.
1: The Spa race would also see a, a non-finish for Martin Hipper who races for uh, Inter Europol Competition. There was a change of driver lineup alongside him partway through the season but Hipper was the ever present. That was quite costly for him finishing second in the end in the championship and otherwise he was always on the podium. So um, more indication, as as Bruce pointed out at the start of the show, in a five-race championship, you really can only afford one DNF. And even that's a bit of a stretch, actually, uh, when you, you look at uh, the other points scored by the eventual champions, although they, again, had a tricky next race. We'll get onto that in a moment. Also notable non-finishes in LMP3, real team racing, Esteban Garcia and David Drew. And, and Drew finishing third, eventually, in the Drivers' Championship, just five points back from Martin Hipper. In GTE, it proved to be a scrap between Kessel Racing an AF Corsa, when have we said that before? Michel Bronzewski, David Perel and Marco Gomez this time brought in to drive the 74 car and they would outrun by nearly 14 seconds Francois Perodo, Emmanuel Collard and Harrison Newey in the 88 car. Now, those drivers were the um invitations uh, uh recipients if you like because they were there a week early set to take to take part in the world endurance championship but why not get an elms race in as well so not actually scoring points uh, but the 88 car uh, proving that they could mix it in the elms just as they were doing in the wec which was going to be a very special season for them in car 88 98 third also um a car crossing to the other so second place points going to and this shouldn't be overlooked Michael Fassbender uh, Felipe Fernandez Laza and Richard Leitz so actually getting some good points on the board the 93 green Porsche uh, early on in the season Bruce
0: yeah and also you might say oh what happened to the the crew from the other Proton competition crew Beretta Picariello, and Reed? well a blowout for Michele Beretta at uh, Radion. not the best place to have it but anyhow the car did finish but that put a dent in their championship challenge at that point in the season and we'll when we get to the end you realize how every single point was going to be required to take that gte title so that was spa Francochon then we thought we're due to be heading off to spain weren't we johnny to barcelona but then of course with uh, the pandemic being particularly bad in spain it was back to the high plateau above marseille back up to uh, paul ricard again for race three
1: yeah, northeastern Spain, very pleasant indeed at the end of August, but coronavirus had struck, and then some in that part of the world. So, yes, yeah, some hasty rearranging and a renaming of the, the 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 race as well to the Le Castellet 240, with its ties to the 24 hours, I suppose, uh, but 240 a reference to the number of minutes across the piece. The beauty of this race, and it was very different indeed. A the weather, Bruce, and B the time of day that it was held. Well,
0: you might as well have variety if you're going to have a a double, you know, a second visit to a a circuit. And we ended up racing into the darkness, which is, you know, it just feels so, so totally different. Uh, Paul Ricard particularly have lots of light when they burst back into that final sequence of corners onto the start finish straight and then back into the darkness after they had gone through Carrière the first corner but uh, yeah a real really different feel.
1: Now looking at the final classification for qualifying uh, I kind of wish they'd gridded the cars up in this exact order because it must have been drier for the GTEs and of course they go better in the wet anyway because they have the mechanical grip whereas the prototypes are more dependent on the aerodynamics but if you can't get the speed up because the weather's bad then you're going to have slower p2s and and so it proved because the fastest time set in all three of the qualifying sessions was by alessio picariello a 154.508 and he was then followed by a further six gte cars because the fastest uh, uh, LMP2 car Philip Albuquerque again for United Order Sports, but he could only manage a 156.9. So uh, a couple of seconds off the GT pace. Uh, LMP3s were even slower than that, with a 207.2 set by David Drew sharing the real team racing number eight car with Esteban Garcia. So that was a an indication of the unpredictability of the Le Castellet uh, 240. Again, it was a race affected by safety cars, three of them. And uh, the one the one that really brought the eventual winners back into the mix was the one that uh, stretched over from hour three into hour four for 15 minutes. By which point, well, when the safety car came out, Hansen and Albuquerque were so far down, I think they were, well, the lower reaches of the top 10. And I'm sure they will have said, we're done here. There's no chance of us getting a result. The safety car brought them back into it and just an amazing run to the line, including several overtakes for Philip Albuquerque.
0: Well, they were actually, I just looked at my notes, they were just outside the top 10. Changing to slicks too soon really, really cost them. You know, when you go out and you think, well, just wait for that crossover. It might come in three laps, five laps, ten laps. It just wasn't coming. And And the only way they got back into the mix was diving in whenever possible to in safety car periods to top up with fuel they did that absolutely religiously sometimes you get double stacked it might cost a little bit of time but it was better than doing um you know having to come in again later and they were outside and really i discounted them but then i just kept noticing them moving their way forward but the drive to the finish line from albuquerque in particular was astonishing i thought he'd have no life left left in his tires But he he managed to pull off a move. And when he came into Park Femme, he just couldn't stop laughing. That, to me, is the image of the 2020 European Le Mans series. He couldn't believe. Phil Hansen had watched it all unfolding. But for Philippe, he just got his head down and charged. And really, I think he came in thinking he might have finished third. And He was just overjoyed to realise that was victory. And uh, they really did pull that one out.
1: I think just about the only man that could match Albuquerque for pace is Jean-Éric Verne in the G-Drive racing car. And it was Verne who stood in his way. And I remember, was it with about three laps to go, it was all down to Albuquerque's exit onto the Mistral straight. And I thought, he's never going to be close enough at scene. No chance. But that G-Drive car just was getting closer and closer. He was in the slipstream. I don't think it was the best exit out of those first sequence of corners at Ricard onto the Mistral for Jean-Éric Verne. And then from memory he went did he not go round the outside at senior corner to take the race lead if you're going to do it do it properly <laughs> two
0: laps remained after that and i just remember that moment i just looked at you in the commentary truck and you looked at me and went how did he do that i mean we thought he'd have a little dig because you're quite right john eric verne nobody's fault was a little bit untidy going onto the you know onto the mistral straight but that move wasn't on and he pulled it off with such a aplomb john eric verne must have just wanted to take his hands off the wheel and applaud, because when one pro driver passes another like that, you've got to have respect.
1: Yeah, and uh, it it would have been uh, potentially the first of a couple of wins that Mikkel Jensen and Roman Rusinov had pulled off, but in the end they had to settle for second place. Jean Eric Verne, uh, not an ever present for the 26G drive racing Aurus. Another good result for Graf. So, having said they flattered to DC, they have had a couple of podiums uh, already by this point, a second and a third place now from Panis Racing, Julian Canal, Nicola Jaman, and Will Stevens, and then the Algarve Pro Racing crew number 25. But uh, the latter two of those cars. On Goodyear tyres. And I remember having a chat to uh, it was Alex Brundle actually over breakfast the next morning, Sunday morning, saying it was no surprise to him to see a couple of Goodyear shod cars actually out front. I seem to remember in those kind of halfway house conditions because the Goodyear tyre prior to that Dunlop, their intermediate is renowned for being superb in those tricky sort of 50% wet conditions, Bruce.
0: You took, yeah, You Exactly so and I love having that variable uh, not just in the weather but the variable of the, of the different tyre suppliers but uh, you talked of Algarve Pro Racing and one of their two car, uh, Oricas in particular I thought was going to have a brilliant season Loic Duval, Henning Enquist, and John Lancaster back in harness again and uh, for Loic Duval he left this third race of the European Le Mans series in unusual style when a Graf Duquesne went a little bit sideways just out between scene and the double droite and clipped him and it was one of those things where the cameraman in the dark in the rain had to find the car that had clearly left stage left luckily not followed by a bear and suddenly there it was and very quickly upside down on top of the tire wall uh, very quickly duval got out of the car and afterwards he, he produced one of the quotes of the season when he said i'm so glad that was caught on tv so at least the team saw it wasn't me that put the car there because you know having another car when your car is already fully dynamically loaded just coming into your pass that was trying to avoid another car you know it's just one of those moments in motor racing when you've got a, a, a like a ball coming off the side cushion in pool and uh do, well again great to see the strength of the cars really unfortunate for our guard pro racing but for duval he made light of it in the end it wasn't his fault but for the team more work unfortunately
1: yeah one of those almost sort of motorway or freeway accidents where Uh, the immediate cars behind can react, but then the shockwave further and further back, uh, you get drivers unsighted, and uh, the last one just cannot uh, get to the left-hand side of the track in time, but um, a very peculiar moment to see, I think the first you and I knew of it, was a driver standing on the tyre wall, thankfully out of his car, Loic Duval, but all you could see then was the, the wrong side of the chassis, the under tray of the car, propped up on the top of the tyre barrier and it's very very difficult to work out what on earth had happened or indeed which car uh, which cars had been involved we've already spoken about real team racing they've had a non-finish but they did take victory much to the delight. and i still remember this celebration and reaction of esteban garcia
0: yeah he uh, you know the biggest just top half of his head nearly came off he was smiling so broadly but i loved his quote when, when he was asked about his, is this your best win? This isn't just my best win, it's my first win, he said. And, you know, tickle pink. You just you just felt his whole season has come had come together. Didn't probably expect to take a win in his first season uh, with the real team car, but had done it at the third time of asking. And suddenly, I, I, it wasn't just that. It, he suddenly realised, hold on, we, we, we could be in the championship mix here. So it was, you know, great to see someone getting ahead of their expectations. And to do so in a race held in rain after dark, That's sort of double kudos, I'd say.
1: Yeah, because that was by no means uh, the easiest race of the season. So, yes, to come away with the spoils uh, must have given them a huge shot in the arm for the remaining two races. Duncan Tappy and uh, Andrew Bentley getting second place. No Jim Maguire in that lineup for that particular race. Jim finding it difficult to travel from the States because of the COVID-19 restrictions, although thankfully we would see Maguire... Uh, later on in the season. And uh, Martin Hipper, again, getting good points to his second position in the Drivers' Championship eventually. Now, this would be, I think, the last race of the season for Nigel Moore, or did he race at Monza? Anyway, we didn't have Nigel, the Yorkshireman, for the whole of the season. Go on, Bruce.
0: It was. He did the first three rounds. And also just worth pointing out that Real Team weren't due to win this they only moved into the lead inside the final 10 minutes uh, with drew going past Tappy. but both of them would have been behind the Hipper more ligier but that was given a drive through penalty for contact so one of those things as well so for real team huge delight for for interopor must have been um very long faces in the evening because when you've only got five rounds to play with you've got to maximize it and when you blow it for a tiny bit of contact but enough to uh, provoke the stewards, then mm, that's not a good thing.
1: Yeah, that's triggered a memory, actually. I thought uh, Nigel Moore was involved with the Loic-Duval incident, and I, I believe that the officials basically traced all of the, the various movements and incidents in that crash for Duval and traced it back to a mistake for Nigel Moore. So he was pinged for triggering all of that, basically. And you rightly say it was a drive through penalty, which took them out of the mixture. RLRM Sports for uh, Malta Jakobsen. Uh, James Dason and Robert Majenis uh, finished in fourth place. And uh, mention as well, GTE winners, the 55 Spirit of Race car of Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin and Aaron Scott. Griff always pulled out for qualifying throughout the course of the year. Again, a team that are so desperate to win this championship. Um, But uh, that was their first victory of the season. And we thought, well, maybe their luck starting to turn they finished ahead by almost half a minute actually of the proton competition Porsche of Reed, Beretta and Picariello race one winners and uh, the Iron Dames Gossner Gatting Fry of Iron Links, completed the podium but again it would be a season where the 55 car the 55 in GTE missed out on a on a potential title Bruce
0: absolutely that was their first win since 2018 I don't want to become this stuck record, but it was about just delivering consistent consistently. And in fact, within that mix, you also mentioned the fry Gatting, Gosner, Iron Links, Ferrari. They were convinced they'd have won that race, but a safety car period, the final one, caught them out and cost them what had been a 30 second lead in the class. And, you know, these are just variables you can do nothing about. It's not like the teams made a mistake. It's just the timing of a safety car period. They lost it. And, I would always t- tip my hat to Rahel Fry, who is very much the star in that car. She does quite a lot of racing actually around the world, but you know she really put in some great gri- drives in two thousand and twenty
1: Yeah, so that's actually, that was actually the only win for Cameron Griffin and Scott and for Manuela Gossner, Michelle gatting, Rahel Fry They would finish th- uh, thrice on the podium. Um, but no better than third on each occasion. And then uh, they did actually manage to finish every single race, uh, but two of those outside the top five. But no strangers to the podium. They did it last year as well. They just need, well, that race win, which was elusive to them at Le Castellet. Next on the bill then, um, well, for a lot of these teams, would be the 24 Hours of Le Mans. So effectively, uh, the first bit of September they had off the fact that the whole of the September for the ELMS uh, was missing for the various movements to Circuit della Sata and the race itself over the 19th and 20th of September. But we'd be back in action in the ELMS to Italy and the new home, newish home in Italy uh, of the four hours previously held at Imola. But it's been at Monza now for three or possibly four years. So great to have to, to be at the the mecca of speed, as it's called. And again, uh, Philippe Arbukirk would would do the business in qualifying. 1.133.9 his time. Only pipping Nick de Vries, though, by 93 thousandths of a second. So much tighter in qualifying. Those two clear of Konstantin Tereshenko on the grid for Duquesne team. But Nick de Vries, having already mentioned um, a certain Jean-Éric Verne, then, not able to race. Nick de Vries bought in instead. And, you know, it's like for like there. There's very little speed lost or gained between the Frenchman and, and the Dutchman.
0: Yeah, and also they're much beloved by uh, pit lane interviewers. They're both really, really good interviews. Mm. Um, you know, a small factor, but it's actually quite a large factor. Whenever I think of Nick de Vries, I just remember one interview I did with him, Le Mans 24 hours. Forgive me if I got the year wrong. Let's say 2018. He just had a mother and father of an accident for Racing Team Netherlands, came back to the pits, the crew realized he was okay he looked so he just walked into the garage for the first time that day he saw me with the radio l'emore microphone at the front i waved to him and he came across did an interview actually smiling away and i thought gosh so many drivers were going to sit with their head in their hands the accident hadn't been his fault but i'm a big nick de vries fan. can you tell <laughs> i just like people who are really really positive he's quick he's positive he's a really good racer and i think for the g drive team you know they're not Well, they are lucky to have him. I think he's just a really good person to have around a team. Now, you talked about how close he got in qualifying, Johnny. Starting, they always say, if you're starting in the middle order, that's when you've really got to worry in a race because, you know, anything can happen on the run to the first corner, particularly if you're at somewhere like Monza, that first chicane. Oh, how many incidents have been there? Well, pretty much every race that's ever been there since they put those chicanes in and their various permutations are from 1972. But... uh, (laughs) Unfortunately for Albuquerque and Hansen on pole, but Hansen leading down to the first corner. Then he gets hit. Do you remember the incident?
1: I do remember the incident. I don't remember him getting hit. Now, I think that was a mistake by Hansen. No, he fessed up to it afterwards. And uh, and there may have been some contact, but he basically hit the brakes far too late. The brakes weren't heated. Obviously, tyres were cold as well. And it was one of those awkward tracks where... I think it had been raining in the morning. It wasn't raining at race at start, but it was still dampish in places. And there was a, a big question mark as to what tyres do you start the race on? Now, I think let's talk about Rusinov, first of all, who started the car that Nick de Vries qualified. Rusinov just went nowhere. It was a rolling start. He was on the front row. And by the first turning point at uh, the first chicane, he must have been fifth or sixth. Then there was contact on the back of Rusinov's car, which spun him round. However, Hansen, yeah, I'm 95% sure that he misjudged his braking, overshot the first bit of the chicane, had to go over the sausage curb at the second bit, and that put him in the gravel trap. And I remember the first time they came through the, the end of the first sector, he was down in about 12th place. And sadly, the cameras hadn't caught that bit, the, the run through the gravel. But from first to 12th, I really thought that was their race done. Despite, you know, Albuquerque's talents and the fact that he can come from a long, long way back. We'd seen that at Le Castellet in the previous round. But this, for me, was going to be their duff event of the season. Wasn't to, wasn't to be... But, I mean, that that's unfortunately for Hansen. Now that going into the new year, he will be gold. Um, he still has that element in his driving. It can be brilliant for most of the time, but he is susceptible to the odd error as such as that.
0: He'll rather think, he, he'll rather wish that he stuck with what I was saying, that he got hit at <laughs> the back, but I was there. I just remember looking at a replay. Maybe I was so busy looking at Rusinov being hit up the back by the Graf Orica. But uh, you're right, these things do need to be smoothed out as drivers go forwards. But come the end of the race, after four hours, who were in front? Albuquerque and Hansen. As you said, five rounds. You can just about afford to have a bad one. This looked like theirs, but they did have a tidy points advantage, and yet they still came home with victory. So that actually, in terms of demoralising the opposition, was even more even more of a job on everyone else than Albuquerque taking it to victory in the 240.
1: Yeah, um, and what it would mean is that the uh, the end of the championship, effectively, for the 26 car, despite Nick de Vries best efforts in qualifying, Nick and his teammate uh, Mikkel Jensen were watching on at the start, and just both of them throwing their arms up into the air. Jensen stormed out of the back of the garage. He knew that they weren't going to come back from that because not only was it a spin for Roman Rusinoff after some contact, But the problem was the car then ended up on top of the sausage curb, beached there. It needed outside assistance. And despite the best uh, efforts of the marshals, they reacted to it very quickly. They couldn't prevent that car from going a lap down. The safety car was deployed immediately, reducing the speed, but the whole pack came past Rusinov's stranded car and he would rejoin a lap down you're just never going to come back from that even though it's a four-hour race
0: no entirely I seem to, did he not have a split radiator as well I could be making I think yes, I'm generally making stuff up about Monza <laughs> no okay. no you're right
1: now it cracked the radiator I think because it was it was it was steaming away whilst parked there
0: okay now the thing I, I do remember about the race I didn't comment too much about Them in the opening round, high class racing. (laughs) We you know, sometimes as a commentator, the cars are on the final lap, the TV directors focusing on the race leader or the duels and then the class leaders as they come around for the final time. At the first Paul Ricard round, we we lost high-class racing. They were heading to fourth place and they ran out of fuel on the final lap. We didn't notice them coming back in. Go to Monza, and suddenly Anders Fjordback has got their car, started 14th, and with all the others like G Drive Racing and Hansen having the problems worked his way up to lead the race and this was extraordinary it wasn't to be in the end they took a podium with third place but uh as the United Orsports cars came past but the signs are there particularly uh with high class racing when Anders Fjordback is on board but Dennis Anderson's getting better and better and they took that place in third but it Monza it was all about the steamroller, the United Autosports duo coming back in and I seem to recall it was very close at the finish. Uh, Alex Brundle getting within a handful of seconds, I think three seconds springs to mind uh, behind the race winning sister car.
1: You're you, you bang on there and again the dominant tyre supplier being Michelin because the best Goodyear car was Canal, Jama and Stevens again for Panis Racing. In the all Michelin class LMP3, finally Martin Hipper getting victory. It looked to be on the cards at the previous race in Le Castellet. This point, Nigel Moore no longer part of the team. That was a split that was I think, done fairly amicably. The team definitely want to stay a good friends and potentially future contact of Nigel Moore, but it was a partnership with Martin Hibber that just couldn't continue to work. And Dino Lunardi brought in to inter Europol competition. and Straight out of the box, that duo worked perfectly. They win the race by 20-odd seconds. I think helped out by the, uh, the single safety car we had in that race, but then three full-course yellows as well. And, you know, just good timing for the longer stops. That The two long stops that you must make were uh, accomplished brilliantly by inter Europol competition. And um, I, I expected them to be a race winner at some point and potentially up there for the championship as well. Uh, but sadly, this was the, the first race win that they could achieve. So it's just a little bit too late.
0: Yeah, uh, unfortunate. And in fact, United Autosports, the, the Boyd Gamble-Weldon, combo that had been uh, so, so dominant only came home third, but they were just ooh, under a 10th of a second down on Nico Kari at the, the end. So Euro international taking that second place, but again, a good stirring of the pot real team racing, were fourth in the class. So the sort of regular names were there and thereabouts um, when it, when it came to the end of the four hours at Monza.
1: And in GTE uh, it would be another great result for the 74 car of Bronjevski, Perel, and this time, Nikki Kadai. Marco Gomez was part of the lineup for the earlier race victory in the season, but by a clear lap in the end. Now, that'll be down to also where the overall race winners were compared to the order in GTE. But on paper, that looks very dominant indeed. Uh, the second place car was the Porsche from Proton for Christian Reen, Michele Beretta, and Alessio Picariello and another podium for the Iron Dames in car 83, finishing third. Uh, But that would set things in GTE up very nicely indeed, basically between the 74 and the 77 going into Portimao. They'd had consistent seasons, the two of them, and despite, uh, uh, from from a numeric point of view, Ferrari having the advantage, it was good to have one of each if you like in contention for for the championship both in the teams and the drivers
0: no entirely so but for reed beretta and yellow, they yellow a little bit of frustration at monza because they were hit not once but twice by prototypes and and uh, the damage delayed them enough they only felt a second but you know where every every point was counting because going into that final round it was 81 points for the kessel racing ferrari 74 for beretta piccari yellow and reed. you know the difference between first and second it's not a lot it's uh it's in fact seven points. Mm-hmm. So then you go to the final round. It could be very, very close. If if they, the proton competition, Porsche won the final round and the Kessel Racing Ferrari came second, it'd be equal on points. Should we move on to Portimao, Johnny?
1: Let's, because yes, that really did challenge us from a from a mathematical basis, if nothing else. So yeah, finally to Portimao, somewhat later than planned. Uh, over the weekend that spread uh, that, that, that split uh, October into November. So qualifying took place on the 31st, the race on the 1st of November. And well, I'm used to it being very blustery indeed uh, up there in the, the hills at Portimao, but it was a, it was a very decent afternoon. I seem to remember for racing on the Sunday.
0: Two days of uh, great weather. It was 26 degrees, believe it or not, in on the was it friday when we arrived yeah on the friday when we arrived and i thought whoa i was expecting we'd be lucky to get above 20 but it was really really lovely and without the wind that can really buffet certain parts of the track that final sweep where you're dropping down onto the start finish straight and the high point of the circuit sort of turns 10 11 12 13 14 you could really take a pasting up there from the wind the rest of the track is sort of you know lovely buried in the sort of sculptured hillsides but uh I just think it's a fantastic circuit. You know, I would happily drive that circuit all day. To race on it, it's, you know, a lot of tracks that are brilliant to drive, sort of on your own, minding your own business, aren't necessarily brilliant for racing, but the circuit at Portimao provides quite a few passing places. And uh, so the racing is is fab. You really, really can attack, I would say, almost every third corner. And there aren't many top-line circuits where you can do that.
1: And uh, it was closely following the F1 visit of course just a week later than that so uh, yeah ELMS with a little bit to live up to but I would say it definitely matched at some of the overtakes performed in the Grand Prix as well uh, 32 United Sports car had altered their qualifying driver all the way through the season in fact all three drivers got to go at one point Brundle On two occasions, Will Owen got a qualifying session and this was the second time we would see Jot van Aertert uh, out for the Saturday session. Just 10 minutes, remember, so really no time to lose and the Dutchman uh, really impressing with a 128.627 to put him on top of the pile. That was partly due to the fact that Philippe Albuquerque was rested from qualifying duty. So Phil Hansen put into the 22 car. Uh, By this point, and we haven't mentioned this already because I was figuring, of course, the GTE category was going down to the wire, as was LMP3. But so dominant were Phil Hansen and Philippe Albuquerque across four, only four, of the five rounds, they'd already sealed the championship. So job done. Um, And what an amazing couple of months really September into October was for that duo Uh, you have to add I appreciate uh, Paul de Resta into the mix for their victory at the 24 hours of Le Mans and so too the victory in the championship for the world endurance series but ELMS sewn up just a month later
0: they pulled it out the bag at that second Paul Ricard event as we just covered they also got something from not very much at Bonza but that was enough They arrived with um, 94 points in the bag. And the next lineup behind them were the sister car, Brundle, Owen and Van Utter, who, may I say, all drove way, way better. Owen, in particular, really picked up his game this year. But they were down 57 points. You know, they're only 25 points to win. Do the maths. They were easy champions after those four rounds. But, again, for Albuquerque, he really wanted to end the season with victory on home ground. You mentioned how the Formula One had been at uh, the Portimao circuit a week before and anyone watching the Portuguese Grand Prix will remember how it was as though it was an oversized engine or something extraordinary in Kimi Räikkönen's Alfa Romeo when he went from, I think it was 12th up, to, up just rocketed up the order on the opening lap and Roman Rusinov didn't make the best of getaways, but suddenly it all just came good for him. And he went from, I think it was fifth on the grid, Johnny, uh, double back, but anyhow, made just this brilliant start and took the lead of the race while those behind, around him just didn't get it together. And, um, have I exaggerated? No, they started sixth on the grid. But Roman Rusinov afterwards, yeah, he, he uh, was just all smiles. Because, you know, you know, Raikkonen can do it, so can Rusinov. But uh, anyhow, it was an entertaining start to the race. But, you know, it was going to be a race that was very important for G-Drive. They needed to win one.
1: For, for me, you know, that made amends for Roman's tardy getaway at Monza. Now, that might have been something to do with tyres. Not necessarily a happy car, I don't know. But as I said, completely bogged down in Italy. And it was the polar opposite in Portugal. So, yes, initially um, the Russian led Will Stevens had started second or at least qualified his car second with the 37 Cool Racing car starting in third place. But, yeah, that would be the start of, well, an action packed four hours of Portimao um, and with Phil Hansen with a, a little bit more work to do from fifth place on the grid. Um, and no longer with Rusinov behind, so I suppose he didn't have the distraction any longer, having then fallen to sixth place, won't it have been, with Paul-Luc Chattin, uh, ahead of him, although I think that car was started by Paul Lafargue, the uh, Edex Sport car. So, wind forward uh, four hours, and it would eventually be a victory for the, duo, the, the trio rather, of Rusinov, Jensen, and Nick de Vries for G-Drive Racing. And... I have to think, if, if they'd managed to pull off a result in Monza, then the situation might have looked slightly better for them. In the end, two of those three drivers uh, finish third in the championship, Jensen and Rusinov, having been the, the ever present in the car, in car 26. But frustratingly for them, that would be their first win of the year at the final race.
0: Yeah, and in that final race, you also had a second place for the Duquesne engineering crew, Gomendy, Hershey and Tereshenko. Again, we mentioned them earlier in the review, a lineup that could and should have maybe picked up some greater results. But again, the ever-increasing excellence, the United Autosports crew, G-Drive Racing with the pace, they took that final win. It is very, very tough at the top in the European Le Mans series. So they'll be pleased with that second place. Uh, but they only ended up seventh overall, the Duquesne team lineup. They'll be disappointed with that.
1: A non-finish for Kubish Muhovsky, and Rene Binder into Europol competition seen in both of the prototype classes this season, but they did have a, a trying year, the German-based Polish squad, um, particularly at the, uh, at the the previous race at Monza, I think it was, when they needed to source a completely new car overnight. So they had their trials and difficulties through the course of 2020 as well. Um, let's move to to LMP3, because that was also a very or tight-ish going into the final race, but because of their great performances earlier on in the season with two wins at the start of the year, let's forget about Le Castellet 240 uh, round three where they uh, had a non-finish, but it was third place for Rob Weldon and uh, Tom Gamble, Wayne Boyd at Monza and another win, making it three for the year, four pole positions out of five for Wayne Boyd and a title now to go with it after that th- that trio took victory by just over 12 seconds uh, from the real team racing crew. But apart from the middle race of the five, you couldn't really have asked for a much better season for, for that, that three, uh, three drivers in car number two.
0: No, you couldn't. And for United Autosport, remember, they won the P3 title in 2016, 2017. It went to RLRM Sport in 2018, Euro International in 2019. But they were back and they were back absolutely solidly. At the top of p3 really really great year for boyd gamble and weldon surprising faces in surprising places we suddenly had on race well on on the saturday at porter julian Herbie turned up because esteban garcia wasn't able to come across because of difficulties with did he have covid someone positive in his family or was it trouble with travel but anyhow really good reserve uh, driver hasn't done a lot of racing recently he joined drew and went race through to second place in class so it, he put down a calling card and for real team racing it's just good they're putting in these solid solid results and they're definitely going to be players in prototype racing in the years ahead they're a very ambitious lineup the swiss the, the swiss crowd so look for more from them in the future
1: yeah, they're definitely a team on the up and uh, but the potential for more cars and well possibly an LMP2 machine for real team racing uh, in the the next few years. We'll wait and see. Um, United order sports already confirming drivers for season 2021. I had a quiet chat with Duncan Tappy at Portimao and he told me off the record that he already had a deal in place, a complete unknown for him because he's always scrabbling around in the winter time uh, to make sure that he's, he's got a drive for the next year, but, but great for, for him and, and others within that team as well, that United seem to have got their business done very early. And, and why not? Because, that combination uh, uh, between drivers and team seems to work really well.
0: Yeah, I think he's, uh, unless I'm gone mad, he's driving again with Andrew Bentley and Jim McGuire. Yeah. So I think back you're right for a, a full season in um, 2021. And of all the years, a, a year wrecked by COVID, to have a deal already in the bag uh, by December. Well, well done to Duncan. Now we haven't talked about GTE at the final round. They came here with uh, to Portimao with two cars equal. Uh, sorry, uh, seven points apart. Kessel Racing leading the way with their Ferrari, but Proton Competition knew they had to take that win. We did. We had lots of little matrices, Johnny, didn't we, in the TV truck of what happens where people finish in what position, and it got super complicated at the end, and we ended up with both of those crews ending the season on 99 points apiece. Now, do you remember how we had to go back through Countback because uh, both crews had two wins, two seconds and one-fourth, and Proton took the title for Beretta, Picariello, and Reed because they took their first win ahead of Kessel Racing taking theirs. So that victory in the opening round was worth everything for them. But boy, oh boy, that was as close as it could possibly be.
1: I don't ever remember covering a championship where things are that level at the end of the season. And this, I suppose you could argue, is the downside of not having a sixth race which may well have split them. But, I mean, so cruel on, on the Kessel Racing trio of Broniszewski, Perel and Kadai. Now, I know that their driver lineup changed a little bit, but it would have been Perel and Broniszewski who could potentially have finished in first place in, in the driver uh, positions. But, as you said, exactly the same points. Uh, two wins, two second places, and they each had a fourth place as well. Uh, they also each had a pole position, For their individual cars. Yes, so to have to split it on the order that those results came through was so, so cruel. And it's a shame that uh, there there aren't a a double batch of trophies to be able to hand out. However, you know, Picariello, Reed, Beretta won't lose a great deal of sleep on the way that they won it. And I think uh, the first time we've seen those three drivers together, certainly Picariello's debut in the ELMS and Beretta. I'm not sure. Uh, has he has he raced in the championship before? Maybe not uh, regularly. Um, so you know, the, it wasn't necessarily a, a, a team combination that has been years in the making. It was brand new, um, a new car for Picariello to get his head around because he's always raced GT three previously. But I just thought the three of them just complemented each other perfectly.
0: Yeah, they did, and I think they're going to stay together as much as they can. Certainly for 2021, but uh, again a championship that gives us three classes to look at through the course of the year. I, th- I think, You know, again, hats off to everybody who, who made it happen. I think we had some really, really good racing. And I think for everybody involved, it was sort of worth double the pleasure for the fact that uh, it was that or staying at home. And staying at home is nothing to be recommended.
1: Was there, looking back across the season, particularly a, a standout driver for you, someone who we should keep our eyes on over the next few years?
0: Well, the standout driver for me, We've kept our eyes on for a good decade and more. It's Philippe Albuquerque. I thought he was astonishingly good this year. Uh, I think James Allen put in some great drives again, as he did in 2019. But for the driver who really stepped up, for me, it was Will Owen because uh, though the results didn't always go the way of uh, the second United Autosports Orica that he shared with. Alex Brundle and Joe Van Banuta, I think Will really, really get raised his game. And I think if if the dice had been rolled slightly differently, they, they could have come away with more than one win. So I think he, he was the one, the American racer, who stood out for me. Malta Jakobsen, I know you're a big fan of his. He's only just turning 17. Um, he put in some some great drives as well for RLRM Sport. But for me, it was Will Owen who really stepped up to the mark.
1: Yeah, and uh, from me, just to echo my thoughts in the person of the year, Awards because my young driver of the year was Tom Gamble in that. And uh, I would, again, point a finger towards Tom. I've always been a fan of his older brother, George Gamble, in Porsches and prior to that, Ginettas. But uh, Tom Gamble, a Ginetta Junior driver in 2017, champion in that. And then it's been really interesting to keep uh, keep tabs on him. And he's already an international motorsport champion there with Rob Weldon and and Wayne Boyd and if you can keep that relationship going with United Autosports then uh, it'll be amazing to see him maybe in an LMP2 car in years to come my thanks to Bruce Jones then for keeping me company for this review of the 2020 European Le Mans series if you missed our review of the Michelin Le Mans Cup which supported ELMS all year uh, that is available on the archive so uh, pick out the podcast for that Uh, and we will be back very shortly with a review of the World Endurance Championship as well for season 2019-2020. So looking forward to uh, peering back through the archives of those eight races. For the moment, though, thanks again, Bruce Jones from Johnny Palmer. It's bye-bye for now.
0: This programme is a Radio
1: Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLemon.com.